Hello everyone, welcome to the Creative Underground episode 7. I'm your host, Nick Sherman. Today we're going to be discussing the inescapable frame. Welcome to the Creative Underground. Gary Chafin sent me a video link five years ago, and the link was called Dr. Gordon Stein, Atheist versus Dr. Grade Greg Bonson, Jesus Follower. And uh, sometimes this is called The Great Debate, and, and uh, other videos titled The Great Debate are often on the subject of Does God Exist? In discussing it with Gary, it was the first time I'd heard the $10 term, presuppositionalism presuppositionalism a helpful helpful definition of presupposition it's a noun a thing tacitly assumed beforehand at the beginning of a line of argument or a course of action uh, the action or state of being of presupposing or being presupposed so when you presuppose something it's it's the thing underneath of your assumptions or it's underneath of things and you might say, what does this have to do with anything practical in life, this presuppositional philosophy or uh, presuppositional apologetics? How is this practical in my life at all? Well, it has, it has everything to do with your life. Literally, everything you ex- assume about existence, everything, is a presupposition. And it's important to investigate those. A basic assumption or presupposition we take for granted. Here's one. People should be good. Um, Should they? Should they be good? That's what we assume. Presuppositionalism is uh, very powerful and clear and admittedly a dangerous way of thinking because you are in some sense playing with the foundation of everything that your life understanding rests on like that it literally stands on i remember uh when i took nicholas merriweather's dr nicholas merriweather's philosophy course intro to philosophy at shawnee state university my sophomore year he said that um he gave us a warning before the class started he told us that uh that these ideas can change everything for you and so you should be careful these are very dangerous ideas was something like that and uh man that was that was powerful i i felt like i was about to step into the matrix or something i mean uh philosophy can be criticized or parodied as something that is uh super impractical that the average joe doesn't need to know but the problem with that criticism is that that in itself is a philosophy it's a sort of a pragmatic essentialist philosophy maybe i don't know if there's an exact word for it what kind of philosophy that it is and that's understandable i mean as my dad would say uh what does any of this have to do with work or let's let's get back to work everyone that's what we're doing here is avoiding work and uh, i appreciate that pragmatism actually i have an affinity for it uh but like i said that's a philosophy philosophy is like you know Uh, trying to figure out what game are we all playing here like what if everyone's playing checkers and 
uh, the real thing to be playing is chess. Wouldn't that like freak you out when you realize, man, I've been playing the wrong game the whole, the whole freaking time? Well, that's kind of what philosophy is in an interesting way to me. Is like learning about other philosophies. You kind of try to understand: is the game I'm playing right? Is the way I'm thinking about life right? Is the path I'm on correct? Um, but you know, so presuppositionalism it's about that getting underneath of everything and so it's dangerous because you're pulling bricks from the tower that you stand on top of and you could fall you could fall um for instance when nietzsche who i've mentioned a lot recently uh shattered the presupposition at least in popular thought he shattered the presupposition that god exists uh, you know, God, the corners, the cornerstone of our proverbial moral tower. Human catastrophe in the 20th century followed. The amount of blood from his ideas, just just one presupposition destroyed that God is dead. Uh, many millions of deaths followed um, as the values were reinterpreted to be about power and what we could glean now and that there is no god to answer to um uh, i don't know these huge political regimes tyrannical regimes were set up and uh people were dying lots of people were dying it was bad in the 20th century the holocaust being one of those but also the soviet gulags and maoist china and uh it's not good if we have no ultimate moral authority. Some people will follow that line of reasoning to its ultimate conclusion and, and come to the realization, as Nietzsche did, that it's about might is right. So whoever's the strongest survives. And uh, that's pretty cutthroat, but could be true. Um, so that would be a thing to investigate whether that's true or not. But even Nietzsche admits that uh, he cannot escape the underlying framework even though he doesn't believe that it exists, okay, he still admits it right in Twilight of the, the, the Idols, his book, Twilight of the Idols. Nietzsche, the God-hater, the self-proclaimed Antichrist. Like, this is so fascinating. I mean, uh, I was listening to a lecture, and the guy was saying that Nietzsche actually thought of himself as the end of Christ, the end of Christian virtue, so he called himself the Antichrist. Uh, he has a book, Antichrist that uh, I haven't finished. I'm about halfway through. And uh, yeah, he d- he doesn't even believe in God, you understand. Everything is will to power and strong dominating the weak, and he, he doesn't believe in absolute values. In fact, he loathes them, and yet he admits of the inescapable underlying frame, this, this inescapable frame. He says in page 24 of is this part six no this is part five he writes in these dense little paragraphs and paragraph number five of twilight of the idol says whenever we speak of values we speak under the inspiration from the perspective of life life itself forces us to establish values this is nietzsche's words life itself evaluates through us when we posit values it follows from this that even the anti-nature of a morality, which conceives as God as the antithesis and condemnation of life, is merely a value judgment on the part of life. Okay, so, yeah. 
Nietzsche recognizes the contradiction. He can't escape values. He's creating his own values, which is what he thought we ought to do, what the Ubermensch ought to do, ultimately. Um, the Superman. Okay, so it's still, that section is far from a confession of Nietzsche's defeat, but uh, still, in a, he still acknowledges that in bold. We cannot escape the frame. Please don't run away screaming, okay? He should have asked the question, what is the frame? Let's just say it another way. We can't escape reason. And so what is reason with a capital R? Uh, as I mentioned before, the Stoics believed uh, in the creative order. Reason was basically written in the stars. It was an underlying pattern that throws through everything. And we call this the Logos. In the Gospel of John, uh, the first verse, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word... And that passage of the Gospel of John is Logos. And it's something like the created order, the underlying structure, the reason that is a part of everything. Um, that's so fascinating. Uh, yeah. What happens if we can't escape the frame? Tries me, may. Everything is subjected to it. Even people that argue for pure rationality and meaninglessness of the universe are using reason to argue that. They're using the inescapable underlying structure to argue against the inescapable underlying structure. So uh, imagine this. You know, just recently we've been having some... Uh, Gary Chaffins has been leading some conversations at the Lofts with uh with our buddy matt and uh bastion and uh this this cool kid named uh caleb this artist and um you know it's basically does god exist or does it not is christianity true or is it not and uh you know one side might say that that values are purely arbitrary and constructed and about what is helpful to people and the other side might say, no, values come from God. And these two sides conflict. And it could be frustrating for those two groups because maybe maybe you feel like there's no common ground. One side's just going to chatter on about what they believe and the other side's just going to chatter on about what they believe. But there is a common ground. There's this eerie, inescapable, underlying common ground. And that is reason. How are we even having that articulated, sophisticated argument? We're reasoning. And so maybe you would ask, how is that possible that uh, we can reason through things? Where does that come from? What is capital R reason? And one thing that's very fascinating to me about Socrates, um, who you know is revered as basically a saint in some circles, J.D. Bentley, I will mention again, told me one time that uh, that Socrates is actually on the narthex of a uh, Orthodox church. I don't have a definition for narthex on hand. Wait, let's look it up right now. Hold on. Narthex. Narthex. Definition. An antechamber, porch, or distinct area at the western entrance of some early Christian churches. Separated off by a railing, and used by the catechumens, penitents, etc. Uh, a porch in a modern church, the front porch. Okay, so it's apart from the sanctuary, maybe. It's a lobby area or an entrance area. And Socrates is 
is painted on the narthex of one of these churches. Okay? One of these Orthodox churches with icons. And what's so fascinating is, is that symbolically makes sense because Socrates was all about reason. He was using this conception of the Logos. And he would ask lots of questions with people that he was arguing with more than give just like assertions of what he thought was true. He would ask questions because it would uh, help people dig down to the the um, the underlying reason. And uh, maybe that would lead people to a more objective understanding of things or conception, conceptual conceptualizing of things. Um, we we don't we end up not knowing as much as we think that we know. We ask more questions, more honest questions, and uh, maybe it gets us closer to something like that underlying structure, that through line of reason, and maybe it shows people that uh, um, at the bottom of all of our assumptions there is something uh, there is something like immortal or uh, solid that might lead to the most objective truth. And anyway, I, I want to say Socrates is on the narthex because <laughs> in a Christian church, right? He's like painted amongst some of the other saints or whatever. You could be on the narthex because uh, uh, reason is this common ground that we all have, whether you believe in God or you don't, whether you think art is this or you think art is this. Reason is the thing that we all connect to and can have conversations with right uh and maybe if we followed that my idea and i it's it's gonna get weird but my thought is what happens when you follow the underlying structure that thing down there at the bottom where does it lead is it breadcrumbs to the meaning of life uh do you have any better ideas of what it could be do those better ideas involve reason I'll demonstrate crudely kind of how the structure works, uh, though likely you know. You know because anyone can discover the structure using the Socratic method. Ask questions. Keep asking questions. Just keep asking and the questions will take you all the way to the bottom, to the frame, to the structure, to the deepest questions. Alright? And so the dialogue. Here's a basic Socratic principle. When two people talk, a third thing becomes known. It's very fascinating. How could... A third thing become known when two people are both talking and pushing their perspectives how could this other thing interject that's kind of weird uh, okay so that would be my consideration for you is that the measuring stick of reason is the thing everyone is implicitly held to the standard everyone's implicitly held to everyone wants to think does their argument make sense or doesn't it so why is that the standard for everybody uh something really you can that's really something to consider that, uh and i think that's the logos and if we were somehow to follow the through line or gather the threads of reasoning leading back to the source the logos i think we would see the truth and perhaps even the person that embodies the truth it would be clear somehow. Do we have that power to do that now? Like, could we do that? I don't know. Um, but we might pursue it as if we do. Because the opposite is, uh, well, the opposite is chaos and madness. 
and uh, irrationality. And that doesn't seem to help anything, so maybe we should just pursue reason as if there really is an end goal there, like if it like it really could lead to truth. Um, the inescapable frame of reason judges our efforts and our humility and our honesty. We can feel it in conversation. We can feel it there. When we're having a meaningful conversation with, with people, we're pulling some of those threads to objective truth. And I think that's something powerful to be followed. So we might ask, how is it possible to have that feeling? And how is it possible to reason? This has been Nick from the Creative Underground for, uh, for a short one this week. Um, I'll talk to you guys in a couple weeks.